Good morning. If you're not there yet, please uh, turn to Exodus 12. We'll come back to it in just a minute there. Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to start today in just a minute. Today we continue our series called Theosaurus. This is week two. A theosaurus is about uh, defining big fancy God words, theological words. Um, if you haven't yet, there are handouts in the center aisles. Please pass them over. Uh, sermon outlines and handouts are in the middle of the aisles. Just go ahead and uh, pass them over so you can follow along if you haven't already. As you know, the word thesaurus is a word we've all heard and uh, probably uh, looked into thesauruses or thesauri, uh, technically. Uh, when, when you were writing papers in high school and college and you, you weren't quite sure how to sound like you know what you're talking about, so you'd go to thesaurus. A thesaurus is a storehouse or treasury of words. It's a repository of synonyms. It's a, it's a bunch of synonyms for words put together. So theosaurus is about us having at the ready in our minds, a storehouse or treasury of God words with which we can describe him and understand important truths about him. Our goal in this series is to define these God words so that we have language to express deep truth at the ready. That's the first uh, handout uh, answer number one there is express. It's about expressing deep truth about God, not just to those who need to hear him, but so that we ourselves can have an understanding of who God is. We want, we want as believers to be sort of walking repositories of God words. We want to be a, a theosauri for the word nerds out there. We want to be theosauri. If you'll remember from last week, we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the first verse. And that's in your outline there. 1 Corinthians 4.1 talks about how we are stewards of the mysteries of of God. That's that next blank there is stewards. S-T-E-W-A-R-D-S. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. And we want to be good stewards of the truth about who God is. So let's pray before we move on here. Lord, we are grateful for your word which teaches us. <clears throat> We're grateful, Father, for the opportunity today to worship together. We have sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are the God from the past. You are the God who still lives and the God who will reign forever. And so we want here today, as the people of God called by your name, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're not here, Lord, to get gold stars in our Bibles. We're here because you're God. And we want to... Uh, uphold your name as the highest and most mighty name of all names. And so we ask that you would, through your spirit, teach us so that we could be people who, who take your name seriously, so that we would be stewards of the truths that you reveal to us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, there was a man who walked into a bar. Bet you thought I wasn't going to start out that way, did you? There was a man who walked into a bar. <clears throat> he sat down and he started talking. And the man at the corner of the bar, hearing this new guy's accent, says, you sound like you're from Ireland, lad. 
even though I don't. He says, you sound like you're from Ireland, lad. And the new guy says, that I am. Well, the first guy says, what a coincidence. So am I. Barkeep, a pint for my friend from Ireland. And the, and the guy says, where in Ireland are you from? The new guy says, ah, I'm from Dublin. And the first guy says, you're from Dublin? Ah, barkeep, another pint for my friend from Dublin. What part of Dublin are you from? The second guy says, I'm from the northwest side of Dublin. Well, bless me, britches. <laughs> Apparently, that's what the Irish say. <laughs> bless me, britches. I'm from the northwest side of Dublin. Barkeep, another pint for my friend from the northwest side of Dublin. By the way, these are pints of coffee, just for the record. <laughs> At this point, a few folks from around this uh, coffee bar uh, notice... Notice what's going on here, and they're, and they're listening intently. And the first guy says, so what school did you go to on the northwest side of Dublin? And the second guy says, only the best for me. I went to St. Mary's, graduated in 62. You went to St. Mary's? I went to St. Mary's, class of 62. And, and all the people are getting into it. Hey, yeah. So uh, everybody's getting into it, and the first guy says, bartender, another pint for my friend from St. Mary's. And this guy continues, he says one more thing. On what street were you reared, my boy? I grew up on Blarney Street. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Barkeep, another... Well, at this point, the bartender had had enough. He holds up his hand, he quiets everybody down, and he says, sorry, boys, no more for you. It's time to cut you off right there. You've had enough. Well, a stranger in the crowd looks down at the bartender and says... Oh, come on. This is amazing. How can you cut them off when they're right in the middle of sharing these great memories and, and this, this incredible coincidence? And the bartender says, Ah, oh, no. It's always like this when the O'Malley twins come in here. <laughs> Coffee bar. Just remember that. <clears throat> Don't you love it? Don't you love it at times like that? When, when people sit around the table together and they share good memories, and they talk about what it's like to be friends who have those shared experiences. There's a, there's a sort of communal connection in those kind of moments that is unmistakable. It's a, it's a togetherness. It's a, it's a common connection that is created by remembering shared experiences. Now, notice that I didn't say that this, this communal bond is created by just shared experience, but by remembering shared experience. We often seem to buy into this sort of silly idea that, that mere proximity or, or closeness is community. We all know that that's not the case. This sort of remembering is different than just proximity. It's, it's remembering a shared experience that is much more than just superficial closeness or proximity. This is a shared experience of the way that the, word, the Lord has worked in our lives. It's that sort of beautiful moment when in a conversation with fellow believers and with friends and with our family, the Holy Spirit seems to be just a little more palpable, more clearly recognized in our conversation. And so we, we freely and joyfully experience laughter and tears and shared experiences together. 
often for the people of God, that special connection of shared experiences happens around the table at a meal. That's what I'm talking about. The remembrance of shared experience often happens around food. And there's a sense in which I think God intended it, or at least he uses that kind of setting among us to to create these good memories and these times where we share with one another about the work that God has done in our lives. It's almost like God intended it that way, and and I can prove it to you. If you had to move away from Greenville today and you had to stay away for a year or two, when you got back to Greenville, where would you go to eat? I'm sure many of you have a few things in mind already. The bean barn, maybe. <laughs> I see a few. No. <laughs> maybe Tipton's, maybe Stan's Barbecue, maybe the, the Farmer's Daughter. That would be one of mine, the Farmer's Daughter. Uh, maybe Wendy's. I don't know. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Green County Wendy's owner guy goes here to church, so... I don't know what we would ever do if, uh, if, if a McDonald's owner starts coming to church here. <laughs> we, we can't give that guy. <laughs> He'll bring the breakfast, that's right. That's all that Wendy's doesn't serve yet. <clears throat> Maybe those other places you visited or lived in, you can remember those places where, where, where food and shared experience happened together. For me, when I go to back, to back to Cincinnati, one of my hometown places, I always go for Skyline Chili. La Rosa's Pizza, and Grater's Ice Cream. I go for those three. It's the holy trinity of Cincinnati restaurants. <laughs> when I go back to Chicago, it's all about, as you can guess, the pizza. I go for Giordano's. I go for Lou Malnati's. I also go for uh, Gino's East. And every time I think, I can eat three or four of those pieces and end up eating one, you know, two. It's this great stuff. There are these places where I know that you have shared experience around the table with friends. Today's sermon in our Theosaurus series is brought to you by the word Eucharist. Eucharist. E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T. Some of you may know this by the word we usually use around here, which is Lord's Supper or or Communion. We We even talk about the Lord's Table. Eucharist is a word we don't use around here much because I think maybe we're worried it sounds too pretentious or or high churchy. Uh, But today, we want to free Eucharist from some of those connotations because it's simply a Greek word that means to give thanks. Eucharist is about giving thanks. Today, we use this word Eucharist to talk about the Lord's Supper because Giving thanks is what happens around the table for the people of God throughout their history. Eucharist, in fact, is a thanksgiving celebration. It's a thanksgiving celebration. It's a kind of party where we sit around the table and we remember the work of God in our lives. Now, now this idea of, of Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper, a solemn event, as, as, as something like a celebration or party, is probably new to many of us, or at least doesn't feel right. Because for us, instead of treating the Lord's supper time like a celebration of thanksgiving, I think we often treat the Lord's supper like a time to study our laps. 
And there's a place for that. There's a place for contemplation and, and, and thinking and, and taking it soberly and being penitent. But there is more to the Lord's Supper than just, than just sober judgment. There is thanksgiving. There is remembering. There is celebration. So we use this word Eucharist today because it's about giving thanks. It's about remembering God's work in our lives. We use it in conjunction with the Lord's Supper because it harkens back to the days of the Old Testament people of God and the Passover feast when they remembered God's powerful work in their lives. It recalls the time in Israel's history when the Lord passed over the Israelites' homes that had the doorposts and the lintel painted with the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Let's look together at Exodus 12 that we read here. Exodus 12, we're going to be looking at the end of it in just a second, but let's look at verse 14 for a second here. Verse 14. God tells them in preparation for the Passover, he says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. This Passover feast to the Lord shall be kept as a memorial day. This Thanksgiving celebration we're talking about was about remembering. That's the next uh, blank on the handout there. The first point about this, this Thanksgiving celebration is that it, it was about remembering. Now, when we, we believers talk about remembering, we, we, we don't just mean a few college buddies sitting around the table talking about experiences they, they probably should have long uh, forgotten and, and moved, moved past. This is about the community of faith having a power among us beyond just regular old folks sitting around at a bar sharing about whatever. See, we see this power of remembering throughout the history of the people of God. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, when the people of God crossed over the Jordan River to take over the promised land, finally, they crossed on dry ground. Just like the first people crossing over the Red Sea to escape Egypt. This act of crossing over the Jordan on dry ground, it helped them to remember. It helped them to reconnect, to call to mind again that previous work of God in their lives. And it enabled them to move forward with confidence that the Lord would continue to work in them. The Lord even told them to erect a monument. He told them to erect a monument of 12 stones so that it so that they could remember this. Joshua 4, at the end there, in uh, verses 21 and 22, Joshua 4 talks about this. He said to the people of Israel, When your children ask your fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. This was so that they would remember what had happened, what what God had done in their lives. Our gathering around the Lord's table is like that. It's a Thanksgiving celebration. It's a memorial to reconnect us to the work of God in our lives. This kind of memorializing of God's work happens throughout the Old Testament and the New. In Deuteronomy 6, there's a great passage that that tells parents to remember the work of God and to teach their children It says this in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses six through nine. It says, in chapter six, not seven, it says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These instructions for parents are about remembering the role of God in their lives. In our own worship, the communion table behind me says, in remembrance of me. There are a few places in the New Testament, but one's in Luke, the 22nd chapter. These are the words of Jesus when he institutes this this New Testament version of the Passover feast. He says this in Luke 22, 19. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in our passage today, they remember the Passover by keeping a feast. That's what we're seeing happen here in Exodus 12. They're beginning to remember the time when God had passed over their houses and had saved them from certain destruction. They remembered by, you guessed it, eating together. We sort of remember the Passover story as if it's about that cool miracle of God passing over the doorposts. But we forget that there's a whole week of feasting that these people participated in. We forget that they ate the sacrificial lamb together as part of their remembering. This passage that we're looking at here today in Exodus 12 shows how they are to eat it, which leads to the next blank on your handout there. They ate it together. In other words, it was a shared experience. A shared experience. They ate it together. They ate that sacrificial lamb together. Look at Exodus 12, verse 47 here. It says, All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. That is, they shall all keep the feast all the congregation shall partake in that meal together. The whole household of the followers of God kept the feast. But here's the catch. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. This idea is so important that it calls it a statute. This, this idea of togetherness was so important that the meal was only to be shared by them. Only them. No outsiders were allowed. Only those who were in on that shared experience. In other words, only those who had experienced the work of God in the lives of the people experienced the eating of the meal together. It says in verse 45, No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. You see, this wasn't just a shared experience with, with anybody. This was a shared experience that was remembered for a particular kind of purpose. For the purpose of remembering God's work in their lives. No foreigner would know that or remember that because they hadn't shared the experience. Only insiders got to experience that. How often do you and I work at remembering the ways in which God has worked in our lives? Is that, is that a practice for us? 
is that shared experience of remembering the way that God has, has brought you to himself and, and you have accepted the call, the gospel call. Has, has that become a pattern for your life? That thanksgiving. Or are you and I too stuck in those ways of acting like I get my gold star in my Bible because I'm here? Are you and I too, too stuck in those ways of thinking, you know, I pretty much got myself where I am. Part of remembering the shared experience of God's work in our lives is that it's God's work in our lives. So we've seen that this Thanksgiving celebration is about remembering shared experience. But what, but what is the focus? What is the glue of those remembered and shared experiences? It's the work of God. The glue is the work of God. It's remembering God's work in our lives. That's the next part in the handout there. That's what this celebration feast is about. And that's why we're looking at Galatians, the second chapter today. Uh, your bulletin says we're going through uh, verse 14. We're actually going from 11 through 16. Um, at the top of the handout, it's correct there, I believe. Galatians, the second chapter, verses 11 through 16. We're dealing here in Galatians 2 uh, with an event that happened early in the history of the New Testament church. This is a little bit complicated background, but I'll try to be clear about it. Galatians 2 here describes an event uh, that had occurred early in the New Testament church. The gospel had already broken through to the Gentiles, that is, to the non-Jews. And Peter himself had played a crucial role in that kind of development of the gospel going to the Gentiles. You can read about that in Acts 10. But the full implications of how Jewish Christianity, that is, those who were Jews who became Christians, the implications of how Jewish Christianity and Gentile Christianity could come together was still a problem. They weren't working well together yet, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. For us in our in our fast food Western civilization, I think it's difficult to appreciate the this, this sort of religious significance that the Jews associated with their meal, their eating together. In Judaism, table fellowship, the time together around the table, table fellowship is fellowship that happens before God. Because the eating of a piece of bread that's broken by everyone who shares in the meal brings out the truth that we all share in the blessing that the master of the house has spoken over the bread. So these Jewish and Gentile Christians weren't yet sure about how to, to work well together. And apparently this, this eating around a table thing wasn't really being appreciated by the non-Jews. So there were problems. The Jews felt like the new Gentile Christians didn't appreciate the way that they should eat the meal. They didn't, they didn't do it in the ways that the good Jewish customs would have told them to. So here's Peter, who initially, as we see in verse 12 here in uh, chapter 2, it says uh, he was eating. He was initially eating with the Gentiles, which was a good thing. But then he, that is Peter, and even Barnabas stopped doing that because somebody had dissuaded them, had, had, had told them that the Gentiles weren't even circumcised. They're not even following the table rules, let alone they're not even circumcised. 
And so these people were coming along and saying, those Gentiles don't have a place at this table. So what's that got to do with today? Verses 15 and 16. Paul writes and says, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that they're not circumcised. That doesn't even matter. What matters is that they have faith and trust in Christ. Paul says in verses 15 and 16, he says, we ourselves, meaning the Jews, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. A person is not justified by whether or not they're, they're circumcised. You and I are not justified because we're here and present. You're not justified because you get a gold star in your Bible for being here. You're not justified because you do something. It's not, it's not because you say the right words. It's not because you know how to look and act respectable. That has nothing to do with it. The people who had dissuaded Peter and Barnabas from eating with Gentiles were acting like their own place at the table came as a result of simply being Jewish. Sometimes we make that same mistake. Oh, just because I go to this good church and not those folks down the road because they believe that thing about this, you know. I, I look and act like a person is supposed to look and act. We make those same mistakes. Because, friends, this Thanksgiving celebration that we're talking about today is about remembering shared experiences of God's work because you and I did not receive a place at the table because of anything special about us. You and I don't deserve a place because of something we've done to deserve it. That, that open chair, that space that is set for you with your name tag on it is available because Christ's atoning sacrifice by which he becomes the Passover lamb invites us to participate in the feast. I want to leave you with this picture. A picture about a table, an open table with Jesus at the head, which is set for you and I, open to all who trust in Christ. Someday, friends, you and I will sit with him at a feast because he has set the table. He has arranged the chairs. He has placed the silverware folded the napkins and we will remember our shared experiences of the work of God in our lives so friends if you have not yet come take your place at the table it's a table set by Jesus Christ himself